Please be seated. Please bow your heads. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading today can, is Deuteronomy 34, verse 5 through 12, which is on page 225 in your Pew Bible. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. No one like, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. You got Holy Ghost power today, huh? Yeah. 
Now, as Presbyterians, we're not really known for Holy Ghost power, are we? Uh, we're known, of course, as the frozen chosen, all right? We're very thoughtful and reflective, uh, pensive people. Uh, but as followers of Jesus, we actually all do have the Holy Spirit. We may not demonstrate it in our worship quite like our Pentecostal uh, brothers and sisters do in their more charismatic ways. Actually, what we do is we look at the words of the Apostle Paul that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, Paul has been writing to the church in Corinth, and he begins to explain to them that if you have someone speak in tongues, you know, while that's that might be good. You need someone to interpret. Otherwise, it will just seem chaotic. And he, he makes the point that our God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, the Apostle Paul says, all things should be done decently and in order. And so we, we're a decently and in order people, are we not, right? Paul writes this so that the church in Corinth will know that their worship should be focused on God and, and not be chaotic, but to have a sense of order to it. Now, as a quick aside, we do recognize the gift of tongues as Presbyterians. We know that some people have that gift. Uh, most of us do not. But some people do have that gift. And, and, and it's fine that if you have that gift, but the key is that if you're going to use that in worship, you need someone to interpret according to the Apostle Paul. And rarely is there someone to interpret uh, when someone's speaking in tongues. And so we, as the most, for the most part, as Presbyterians, don't do a lot of that. However, I did have a, a professor in seminary, a Presbyterian professor of speech, uh, Dr. Robert Jacks, great man of God. I was his TA for speech at uh, Princeton. And we would pray together before each class, and every now and then we'd be, you know, I would always pray in English, and we'd be praying, and then every now and then he would start to, to, to mumble some things, and I was wondering what that was about, and he was praying in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, which is a fine gift. Some people have it, others do not. But as followers of Jesus, we know that we all have the Holy Spirit. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives today? To find out, I would encourage you to open your Bibles, your pew Bibles, to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7, it may be found on page 1148 of your pew Bible. John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7. So where we might discover together, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives today? But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, We thank you so much that you inspired John to put pen to paper so that we might have the words of Jesus here today. Lord, we pray that as we read your word, you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that you might open our hearts, that we might be receptive to your word, that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7. Listen to the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is to be judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. If you've been with us the last three weeks, you know that we've been taking a journey uh, through a sermon series on the Trinity. And as Stuart began our sermon series talking about how uh, through Jesus Christ, we now call God Father, Abba, Daddy. There's an intimate relationship that we're invited to have with God as, as our Father, And then last week we talked about how the fact that Jesus is the divine logos and and he makes very clear claims to be equal to God, equal to our heavenly father in John chapter five. In fact, it's the divinity of Jesus that ultimately led to the doctrine of the Trinity as the church wrestled with the fact that God is one as we find in the Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's in Deuteronomy six. But then we have the words of Jesus where Jesus says, I and the father are one. When you have seen me, you've seen the father. And so there's this clear struggle with there's obviously one God and yet there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the doctrine of the Trinity was created to help explain this by early church fathers like Tertullian in the second century to explain how we serve a triune God, a a God of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three separate persons, yet they are so united in essence and substance and purpose that the three are actually one, a divine community where they sacrificially and unconditionally love and and, and they're guided by and moving in the same direction, working in concert together. Well, now in our text, Jesus tells his disciples that I'm about to leave you, but I'm not gonna leave you alone. No, I'm going to descend the Holy Spirit to be with you. In fact, John 16 is a part of a greater conversation that Jesus has been having with his disciples since John chapter 13, after he washes the disciples' feet. And in John 14, Jesus first mentions the the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, when Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. When the resurrected Jesus ascended into heaven, he went to be with our heavenly father. He, his body is no longer with us. His resurrected body is no longer with us. He's at the right hand of God the Father as the scriptures teach and as we say in the Apostles' Creed. But now God the Father and God the Son have sent the Holy Spirit to be with us who dwells within us. Yes, as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit plays a very important role in our lives. For the Holy Spirit, as we can see in our text this morning, has been sent to guide us in all truth to equip us with spiritual gifts and to help us bear, bear fruit, spiritual fruit, that ultimately points others to Jesus. TGF, you know, you always think of, thank God it's Friday. TGF, truth, gifts, and fruit. Let's say that together. Truth, gifts, and fruit. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't create his own truth, but rather he points us to the truth. Specifically, he points us to Jesus. For in John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
As followers of Jesus, truth is not a principle or an idea or a philosophy for us. No, truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. For as we talked about last week, Jesus is the divine logos. He's God incarnate, God in the flesh. And if we want to know what is true, we look to Jesus, for he's fully God and fully man. The ultimate revelation to us of who God is and who God wants us to become. If we want to know what God would have us do, we simply look to Jesus. For prior to Jesus' arrival, of course, we had the the written word of God. We had the Old Testament. We had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, We had Deuteronomy, which which, uh, Nancy read from a moment ago. And we had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we had the teachings and the speaking of of the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. But we didn't have a living example of what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We didn't have a living example of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves as we read in Leviticus chapter 19. But then God sent his one and only son who was born as a baby in a manger. He grew up among us and he healed us and he taught us and he gave us an example of what it means to love God unconditionally, sacrificially and what it means to love our neighbor unconditionally and sacrificially as he died on a cross for our sins. And then on the third day he rose again conquering sin and death so that we all might be saved. Yes, the Holy Spirit ultimately points us to Jesus. He guides us and leads us in all truth and all truth for us is ultimately found in the person of Jesus. So how does the Holy Spirit guide us to Jesus exactly? What, what, how does he do that precisely? Well, the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in our hearts and our minds. As Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse three, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that ultimately leads us to, to faith, to say that Jesus is Lord. And in fact, if you'll remember, before Paul was the Apostle Paul, he went by the Jewish name Saul, right? And Saul was on the road to Damascus, not to become a Christian. No, he was on the road to Damascus to go and persecute Christians. And while he was on the road, God in his sovereign will chose to get a hold of Saul and he blinded him in the middle of the road. And Saul was overwhelmed by the light And this voice from heaven, the voice of Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, in humility, replied, who are you, Lord? And Jesus, from from the right hand of God, the Father says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul did not go to Damascus to become a Christian. He went to go persecute Christians. But God got a hold of Saul and the Holy Spirit began to do a work in, in Saul's life and, and, and Ananias is eventually sent to, to pray for Saul and to, to give him the Holy Spirit. And we read the words of Ananias that he said to Saul in, in Acts uh, chapter 9, uh, Acts chapter 9, verses uh, 17 to 19. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul, on him, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Notice that Saul's eyes are open when Saul offers the Holy Spirit to Saul. It's the Holy Spirit who who begins to open our eyes and to quicken our hearts so that we might respond to God's amazing grace. It's the Holy Spirit who ultimately convicts us of our sin and helps us see who Jesus really is. For as Jesus explains in John chapter 16 of our text, verses 8 and 9, we read, 
He, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The great sin of humanity, as we find in the Gospel of John according to Jesus, is to deny the divinity of Jesus, to not recognize that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. As Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, Excuse me. I've had a cold, so I'm kind of throat loser. John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know, as Christians, we love to quote John 3.16 because it talks about God's love, right? We'll see that at a football game probably today somewhere in the stadium. John 3.16, God so loved the world. I've never seen a sign that says John 3.18. Have you ever seen that? I've never. Because John 3.18 talks about the judgment of God too, that those who believe in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed. In the name of the only Son of God. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of its sin. (coughs) To help us see that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. To draw us to Christ. And as we stand in the light of Christ, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. As we stand in the light of Christ and the holiness of Christ, we're, we're overwhelmed by his holiness. And we're reminded of our own sinfulness and how how far we fall short of God's design. For Jesus Christ is without sin. But we in our sin stand before Christ and we recognize we are sinners. And by work of the Holy Spirit, we're humbled and we confess with our lips that Jesus Christ alone is Lord to the glory of God. Yes, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to guide us in all truth, we can see that ultimately the Holy Spirit is going to guide us to Jesus who is the truth. In fact, earlier in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance that all I have said to you. He will teach us all things and and help us have remembrance of all that Jesus had said to his disciples. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come to remind us of all that Jesus said. But how does the Holy Spirit do that for us today? I I mean, Jesus said these words to his disciples and they had been with with Jesus for three years. They they were there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, which was amazing. They were there when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son or the story of the Good Samaritan, all these amazing parables and teachings that Jesus did. They were there and and heard it and the Holy Spirit's gonna remind them of those teachings. But how are we to be reminded of the teachings of Jesus today? How is it that the Holy Spirit helps us see the truth of Jesus today? Ultimately, by taking us to this, God's holy word, which the Holy Spirit inspired. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, he says, all scripture is God-breathed or is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write his letters. And the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write his gospels in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit inspired John to write his gospel. Yes, as we come to God's word, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and reminds us of who Jesus really is. For all of scripture ultimately points to Jesus. 
John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, says this about God's word in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, his uh, best-selling book. He says, for as God alone is a fit witness of himself and his word, so also the word will not find acceptance in men's hearts before it is sealed by the inward testimony of the Spirit. This idea of the inward testimony of the Spirit is that the same Holy Spirit who convicts us that Jesus is Lord is the same Holy Spirit that helps us see that this is God's written word for us today. And if we'll humbly open our hearts, God will speak to us and we'll be changed. This Christmas Eve, we're going to invite uh, everyone who comes to our church to receive one uh, free copy per family of the story. The story is basically the grand narrative of the Bible. Randy Frazee and Max Lucado have taken the NIV and they've taken out books like Leviticus and they've decided to just focus on the grand story of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it starts off real well. I mean, you're in Genesis, the story of creation. We all love that, right? And you've got Adam and Eve and the Cypri Serpent. I love that story. It's a great story. Noah, the ark. Remember the two animals go in two by two? You remember the song at least, right? And then you've got Abraham and he's a father of many nations, you know? And then you've got, you know, you've got uh, Isaac, and, and you got uh, Jacob, and you got Joseph, that's great stories, and then you get to Exodus, Moses, good stuff, Leviticus, whoa, stop sign, oh, hey, uh, about all the sacrifices, and the rules, and the regulations, and oh, kills you. Well, what they've done is they've taken the, the Bible, and they said, let's just tell the narrative, the grand narrative of Scripture, so that it ultimately reads like a novel, it's a great book, and we're going to give one to each family who comes, so the we might invite them to join us this year in 2016, starting January 10th through a journey of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, telling the grand narrative of Scripture. I grew up at First Presbyterian Church in Midland, and by God's grace, I had two parents who were very committed that I go to Sunday school every Sunday. I went to Sunday school every Sunday so that when I was a, a senior in high school, I could, tell you the, I could tell you any story about any character in the Bible you wanted to know. I could tell you the story of Joshua or Moses. I could tell you the story of David or Abraham. I could tell you the story of Noah but I had no idea how those all fit together. I did not have any sense of the grand narrative of Scripture. And so for the most part, I really didn't read the Bible on my own because when I read it, I was confused. I didn't know how it all fit together. We want to take care of that problem. We want to make it easy for people to read this whole Bible by beginning with the grand narrative first in 2016. And as a whole family goes through this, we'll be preaching on it and the Sunday school classes will teach on it and every kid who comes on January 10th will get a, their own copy of the, the children's version of the story so that families together can walk through the story of the whole Bible, the redemptive story of God's word. We've got a little video I want to show with you about kind of helps understand why families need to do this together. Well, the studies are in, and they are screaming to us loud and clear what the Bible has been telling us all along, and that is this. Parents must be involved in. No, parents must run point on the spiritual development of their children. And if we don't, we will jeopardize the chances of our children following hard after God once they leave our home. But many parents I know just simply don't know what to do. As a matter of fact, many parents say, I don't have the spiritual foundation to give to my kids. Well, the story experience is there to help you. It is a simple and effective way to come alongside of your children and provide that spiritual foundation for them. We have found it work masterfully for families at the very beginning of their spiritual journey, as well as for families like mine, a pastor's family. Our four children deeply enjoyed the experience with us as parents as we went through it together. But it's more than that. The story experience is just the right kind of gift you want to give to your children. Imagine this. 
your children reading through the whole Bible under your watch, seeing them capture just how much God loves them and wants to give them a hope and a future. Wow, that's the kind of gift you want to give to your kids. So I want to encourage you to join us as we take the story experience together. The Holy Spirit has come to guide us in all truth. And the truth is ultimately found in Jesus. And the truth of Jesus is found here in God's holy word. And next year we're going to go through the grand narrative of the Bible so that this might be easier to read. We're going to begin here so we might grab the whole story of God's redemptive plan. How all of the word of God ultimately points to Jesus, our great savior, the great I am. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come to guide us in all truth and to equip us with different spiritual gifts. As you read 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, we can see that through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has now come upon us and has given us different spiritual gifts so that we might do the work of God's kingdom. Specifically, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, the Apostle Paul writes this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are today? If you don't know, you can actually go to our church's webpage, firstprez.com slash serving, and you can take a spiritual gift survey that we have online. As you fill out that survey, you'll discover what your spiritual gifts are, and you can sign up to serve in a certain area of our church. You can talk to Murray Gossett, and he'll help you discover how you might use your spiritual gifts for the sake of God's kingdom. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come to, to guide us in all truth. A a truth that ultimately leads us to Jesus, who is the truth. And in guiding us to the truth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given us spiritual gifts so that we might use those gifts for the work of God's kingdom, to help build up his body, to help make disciples of Jesus Christ. And finally, the Holy Spirit has come into our lives so that we might bear fruit, fruit that will point people to Jesus. Spiritual fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as the Apostle Paul writes about in Galatians. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says this, verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. How are we sowing to the Spirit today? What are we doing to help raise our sails so that we might catch the wind of the Spirit today? For, the, for Jesus says to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter three, verse eight, talking about the Spirit, he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, at Amarillo, we understand wind, right? I mean, we get that. I mean, we have a lot of it. And uh, you don't know where the wind's coming from but when, you, when it's there, boy, you can feel it. 
Well, the key is, is what are we doing to help prepare ourselves for the, for the Spirit's movement in our lives? I can't create the Spirit movement, but I can raise my sails. I can put myself in a position so that I might hear the Spirit speaking to me, so that I might hear those quiet promptings that the Spirit gives me to act and to move and to live and to love in a, a particular way. How can we get ourselves in a way that we're sowing to the Spirit, planting for the Spirit, so that we might bear fruits of the Spirit today? We sow to the Spirit by doing the kinds of things that Jesus did, by spending time alone with our Heavenly Father in prayer, in solitude, in silence, in meditation of God's Holy Word, where the Holy Spirit has inspired writers to put pen to paper so that we might have the Word of God today. Are we walking in step with the Spirit today? Are we bearing fruit of the Spirit today so that we ultimately point others to Jesus? For the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that describes who Jesus was. He's a man of great love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, was he not? He said, we'll begin to do the kinds of things that Jesus did and communing with our Heavenly Father through prayer and meditation of his word and fellowship and worship together. Then we'll begin to sow to the Spirit and the Holy Spirit will begin to do a work in our lives and we'll begin to naturally bear the fruit of the Spirit and point others to Him. Are we sowing to the Spirit? Are we exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit today? Or, as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter five, are we sometimes guilty of of bearing fruits of the flesh like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, and envy? to avoid the fruits of the flesh, to avoid uh, living like that. We need to practice the kind of disciplines that Jesus did. We need to train unto righteousness by sowing to the Spirit and spending time alone in God's Word and and meditation and fellowship and worship and prayers and praise to God. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come to, to guide us in all truth. We find the truth in God's Word. The Holy Spirit has come to to give us spiritual gifts so that we might do the work of God's kingdom. And the Holy Spirit has come to, to dwell inside of us so that we might bear fruit. Fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit that ultimately helps point others to Jesus. And gratitude for the gift of the Holy Spirit. May we so- humbly seek to walk and step with the Spirit today so that we might draw closer to Jesus and become more like Jesus and ultimately point others to Jesus. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you that you're a God who has not abandoned us, but you sent your son to this earth to, to save us. And then when he ascended into heaven, Lord, you sent your Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth, to equip us with different spiritual gifts so that we might do the work of your kingdom and to move in our lives in such a way that we begin to bear the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh God, may each one of us seek to sow the Spirit today and this week by doing the kinds of things that Jesus did in in communion with his heavenly Father. He spent time alone with with God and he he spent time in prayer and solitude and silence and and meditation on your word and he worshiped you and he, he fellowshiped with others. And Lord, I pray that we might seek to walk and step with Jesus so that we might sow to the Spirit, so we might raise our sails so that we might catch the wind of the Spirit, so we might hear the Spirit moving and we might obey. So that ultimately, like the Spirit, we might point others to Jesus today. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen.